Someone from North Carolina is calling me right now. Ooh. They're not getting a response because I'm pretty sure it's Oregon State University's Alumni Association. At 10 p.m.? Uh, 7. In, well, actually, wait. Yeah, North Carolina. But maybe it's someone in Oregon for the Alumni Association because it would be 7. So, like, dinner time calls. Ugh. Got it. I don't know if I could do alumni stuff that way. Asking for money that way. Yeah, it sounds like it sucks to me. I could do it the schmoozing way. Like, if we're at dinners with, like, high-end bigwigs at universities, and I'm asking those folks for money, I could probably schmooze the hell out of that. Great. I love schmoozing. But it's the calling that would be like, "Eh." Yeah. I don't think anyone in our generation is good on the phone. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time on the phone uh, with my mom, and I've been in a few long-distance relationships, so I've had a fair amount of phone t- phone time. I don't know. Okay. I like being on the phone, but I don't like calling strangers on the phone. Like, I don't like call- like asking strangers for things on the phone. There you go. Hello and welcome to the EduPunks podcast. This is your host, Craig Vitamin. This is a podcast for everyday educators, uh, daily disruptors, folks in the education world and adjacent, and musicians, and people who like to educate and other stuff. Yeah, I think I've nailed down the intro pretty solid. This is episode 11. We're talking about climate change today. I have two of my good friends from different parts of the country, from different times in my life, to chat about climate change today. I have my friend Nick Lilja, who is an actual meteorologist slash weatherman slash very interesting, charismatic human being. He is in uh, Mississippi, which is not where I know him from. I know him from my time at Oregon State University, where we worked for our college newspaper together. I also have my friend Sophie Robinson who produced the documentary The Age of Consequences, which focuses on climate change from a policy standpoint. I'm talking to both of these folks today so I can show a couple perspectives on the climate change conversation. And granted, these conversations happened before um, the devastating hurricane in Houston this last weekend, um, but this is a timely conversation to look at and I identify ways that we can support and educate folks on the way that our climate is changing, the way that weather has been impacted due to this over the last uh, couple of decades or so. Nick provides that perspective uh, as he looks at weather literally every day. And Sophie looks at the bigger picture policy perspectives of what uh, climate change is. Uh, 
how, how climate change is impacting the world and why we need to care about it today. Uh, we all get into this conversation uh, in, in uh, many different ways. Uh, it's presented uh, from a, a lot of different scientific evidence. And I'm, I'm really excited to share this conversation with you all, these conversations with you all. If you enjoy what you hear, please give us some ratings, some reviews, some stars on the uh, iTunes store. Tell your friends. Share it with your friends. Let them know that, hey, there's a cool podcast where people are talking about things in the education world and people that are cool. Yeah, I think that's a good way to sell the podcast. Don't you, Katie? Yeah. Yeah. I think Katie agrees. It's a cool way to... Sell, sell the podcast. And this week, our music sponsor is uh, the Native Sound again. Wonderful! I love the music that the Native Sound has been putting out uh, uh, over the last couple of years. Today, you're going to hear tunes from the band Surf Rock is Dead. You'll hear that a little bit later. Uh, earlier, you heard uh, some some tunes from the band No Sun, and you'll hear some from them a little bit later as well. Okay. I think we're ready to get into this conversation. We're going to start off chatting with my buddy, Nick Lilja. Here we go. I'm sitting here with my buddy, Nick Lilja, who is in uh, Missouri, Mississippi, Oklahoma. Mississippi. 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 I knew I'd get it. Because it's nowhere near where you and I know each other from. No. No, uh, which here. is from Oregon State University. Go Beavs. Exactly. So you and I have spent plenty of long nights together talking about life and sports and politics. So I know a bit about you. Folks might not know anything about you. Why don't you give folks a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, yeah, uh, Craig, the old graduate from Oregon State. After that, I ended up at uh, Syracuse for uh, about a year and a half. Um, working on my master's in broadcast journalism. So I got my undergrad in earth science. So even though you and I worked at the newspaper together um, and I went into sports journalism for a short period of time, like my degree is actually in earth sciences uh, with an emphasis in atmospheric and oceanic sciences. I did like all this scientific stuff all day long. And then at night uh, when all the homework was done or before it was done, I would do the newspaper. Uh, and so, and, and radio and TV and sports stuff. And um, after being at Syracuse, uh, getting my degree in broadcast journalism, I was like, well, um, I'm here with a bunch of people doing sports that are like way better at sports than I'm ever going to sports. Um, <laughs> I can't sports on TV as well as these guys can. Uh, and so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bridge the two things that I do decent, which is talk at people about things and um, and weather, which I've always really enjoyed, science and, and earth sciences, and see if I can't get a job as a television meteorologist. And wouldn't you guess it? Somebody actually hired me. I was blown away too, Craig. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I started out as a morning meteorologist in Amarillo, Texas. <clears throat> and I would I would do the weather in the morning, and then I'd go chase tornadoes in the afternoon and in the evening. And uh, and it was a blast, um, and I did that for a couple of years, and now uh, I took a job down in Mississippi with the goal of uh, educating people about how gnarly the weather can be, because in Dixie Alley, uh, we tend to get 
a fair amount of uh, gnarly weather down here because, you know, there's Tornado Alley and then there's Dixie Alley. Both of them have uh, bad weather and tornadoes. Um, the Tornado Alley, that's the traditional one, but Dixie Alley is kind of the secondary one that doesn't quite get as much recognition, but still manages to get enough gnarly weather. And I wanted to make it a point to come down here and uh, help people understand not only how crazy the weather can be, but alert them to, hey, you know, crazy weather's coming. You should do something about it and let them know why crazy, crazy weather is going to happen on this day and, and not on that day, even when it feels like exactly the same day. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, because you mentioned the, the degree you were actually doing while we were there, and I... Up until what, two weeks ago when I first contacted you, to, when we first had a conversation, I did not know that that was your degree. <laughs> yeah. No, very few people did, Craig. You, you're like not alone, man. Um, it, a lot of people, when I got into uh, weather on TV, were like, how are you doing that? You don't have a background in that. And I was actually, no, uh, I do, actually. I had <laughs> many a long hour doing this. Um, uh, it just... I kind of did it in the background and I did it as kind of a, not as like a fallback plan, but like as a, hey, eventually I'm going to have to be an adult person and have a real person job and not be a sports writer. So might as well do something that's, you know, worthwhile and, and good for not only like the world, but for like society. Not, not to like discredit all the hardworking sports writers out there. But <laughs> no, I mean, but like I, I, I never felt like I was as good as any of them. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I was kind of looking at it going, well, I, whenever whenever this ride is done, whenever people, you know, uh, you know, the psychology of like the fraud syndrome or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Imposter people, syndrome. Yeah, that thing. So like I had that. And so I was like, well, eventually people are going to figure out that like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So I better have a degree of something that I do know what I'm trying to do mm -hmm. uh, so that I have kind of a, a, I guess, a fallback plan, so to speak. Well, I mean, I have degrees in what I do my work in, and I still feel like I'm a huge imposter. And people people hire me to go talk to their students. I'm like, all right, well, this is going to be fun. I'm just going to talk about how sad I am most of the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Which to me blows my mind because, and I'm sure people that listen to you know, maybe recognize this, not know this, but recognize this, but you're a very fun-loving and energetic person and you're, you're very lovable. So oh. to hear about, you know, because I follow like your life, uh, yeah. but to like hear about your struggles uh, that you go through is, is very... It's crazy to me because you are such a likable and enjoyable and lovable person. Like, uh, and that is one thing that, you know, through your journey has really opened my eyes uh, when talking with other people about maybe what they're going through and, and understanding that, you know, like, even if a person is like totally awesome, like they can be they can be battling. Uh, oh, yeah. Something. Um, and it's something that you don't necessarily think about. And I never, I mean, you want to talk about, oh, I never would have known that you were a, oh, a dirt and rocks and weather person. I, if, if I would have, if nobody would have told me, I never would have painted you as somebody who, uh, struggled with any sort of, any semblance of any kind of depression whatsoever. Well, one, I appreciate the very kind words and two, it is like a it's like a national national cultural phenomenon that people just don't talk about yeah. their mental health. But um, 
So I'm on that mission to debunk a bunch of that stuff and to get us a little bit back on track. Yeah, sorry. No, no, it's all good. What do you do as a weatherman? So I put together the forecast every day. And, and, you know, like most of the guys and girls that you see on TV that are, you know, standing there for a minute and a half to three minutes telling you if it's going to rain tomorrow or not, um, actually do a lot of work on the back end to figure that out. It's not as easy as looking at your app on your smartphone. Um, You know, you can do that, but it's not going to be the most accurate thing in the world. I sit down and I look over model data and calculations and all this stuff. And I usually spend about two to three hours a day uh, putting together a forecast. And and then I get on TV and I, I tell people about it at 5, 6, 6.30 and 10 o'clock at night because I'm in the central time zone. Uh, and, um, you know, outside of that, I do a fair amount of research kind of on the side about um, how uh, our, our changing climate is changing our daily weather, um, you know, historical uh, weather events. Um, I do research on, on creating better forecasts. And so um, there's, a, there's a, actually a lot that goes into being a TV meteorologist that uh, like, you just don't see when you're watching at home because you see us for, you know, two minutes saying, you know, standing in front of the green screen saying, hey, yeah, tomorrow it, it's got a 50% chance for rain. And then you sit at home and go, yeah, thanks, Einstein, 50%. Yeah, <laughs> either going to or not. Yeah, this guy's a genius. Um, and and there's, a, there's a lot that goes into figuring out if it's going to rain tomorrow as well as all the other crazy stuff. By the way, here's something I'm going to take us off course for a half a second. Craig, do you, do you know how we figure out that that number, that fifty percent chance or sixty percent chance for rain? No, I don't. I'm actually very curious because whenever I look at the weather, and we're like, "Oh, so it might be like fifty percent chance of rain tonight." Should I bring a jacket? How do you figure that out? So uh, they figure out a chance for rain. At least this is how I do it, and I follow the National Weather Service guide, which is on a scale of zero to one. It's how confident are you that there is going to be rain somewhere in in your area of jurisdiction. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you multiply your confidence level in that somewhere something's going to rain times the area that you think within your area of jurisdiction will see rain. So if I am 100% confident that 10% of the area is going to see rain, that's a 10% chance for rain. Where conversely, if I'm like, not very confident at all, like say I'm like only 20% confident that a big area, let's say uh, 100% of the area is going to see rain, then it's only a 20% chance. And and you can play with the percentages back and forth, and that's how we come up with like a 50% chance for rain. You might say, <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm 75% confident that we see rain over 25% of the area. Huh. There's, so now, there's a there's a fair amount of math in that then. Th- yeah, and and there's a lot of math that goes into figuring out if you're gonna see rain or not. And the tough thing is, is everybody wants a point specific forecast. Craig <laughs> wants the forecast for Craig's apartment because Craig's apartment is where Craig is gonna be walking out of at eight a.m. Yeah. yeah. And so and then and then Craig wants to know if it's gonna rain at at work, and that's a point forecast. But the problem is, is a lot of us meteorologists are doing not point forecast but zone forecasts so if you live in one zone and work in another zone of your local meteorologist zone and we, and we don't 
decide these more than any kind of arbitrary, okay, this point to this point, this point to this point. But if you live in two separate zones and you wake up in the morning and you look at the forecast on your phone, for example, and it says, oh, a 30% chance for rain, and then by the time you get to work, it says, oh, 50% chance for rain, it's not that the forecast changed. We don't know what we're talking about. You may have moved from one zone to the other zone. Um, and the flip side of that is when you're like, oh, it was a 30% chance for rain and I got rained on, what gives? Well, like you were the 30% of the people that got the rain. Like that sucks, mm. but sorry. Huh. Okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense now. And I won't, maybe I won't get as mad when the predictions are <laughs> not as I expected. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that, that helps. And by the way, when it snows, it's like, infinitely more difficult which that is a whole nother show in itself dang do you get hate mail yes i get a lot of hate mail (laughs) that's awesome Um, so so we don't have a whole lot of time but what is like your favorite piece of hate mail that you've gotten as a as a meteorologist in fact i will say this craig you knew how much people hated me at oregon State. yes i do um people hate i get more hate mail now than i did then (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing um I, I like i had a guy on my facebook page the other day because all of us tv people have a facebook page um but he got on there and he was making fun of my math he's like he's like if if you're looking at 82 percent totality then uh you need to refigure out your math because you said 22 percent of the of the moon or the sun would be left or something i don't remember what he said because it didn't it was like broken english um, you know, cause like people that yell at you online, like are not like educated people, educated people will pick up the phone and call you or send you a letter, mm-hmm. um, or stop you on the street and be like, Hey, I want to discuss something with you. They're not going to like spout hate at you on Facebook. And I went back and watched the tape and I most certainly got the math right. Um, I don't know what he heard or why he heard what he heard. Hmm. Um, you know, but like a lot of people get angry about like rain you know, they'll be like, oh, you said 10% chance for rain, and I got rain. I live in, you know, wherever. And I go, well, like, here's the map of all the people that got rain. 10% of the area got rain. You just live in that 10%. Like, that sucks, dude. I'm sorry. Uh, a lot of people get angry um, at, like, how I present the weather. So I tend to get a little more scientific in things and kind of explain the weather because a lot of people like weather. Like, you just figured out how we figure out if it's going to rain or not, like what percentage we give that, right? Like that's useful information for you for the rest of your life. So I try and do that here and there and people get angry. They're like, just give me the weather. Just, just shut up and tell me the number and the little icon dealy. And I'm like, that's an, I'm an app now. Like I'm not an <laughs> app. I'm a human. Like if you The number, if you want a number here, I, I got, I got my phone. If you want a number, you just take your phone out. You, you put in your little code to get into the phone and you hit the little weather dealy and you look on it and you say, oh, okay, cool. The weather for tomorrow is 92 degrees and partly sunny. Now, if you want an accurate forecast with some semblance of uh, explanation about what it is you're going to see and why, I'm a human being and I can offer that. Nice. I like that. I like that explanation. So, so I mean, the hate mail is, <clears throat> is generally grouchy and not so much hateful. Okay, okay. It's more of like, you mildly inconvenienced my day in these ways. Yes, you mildly inconvenienced my day, and apparently I all of a sudden have nothing to do right now, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to write you a letter. 
So I have enough time to write you a letter when I can on use Facebook, that time. Twitter or whatever, yeah. More constructively or creatively in another outlet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like go for a walk. It's amazing. Okay, so what is your relationship uh, with following climate change? Like what is your understanding of it? How do you follow it as a, as a weatherman? Uh, how does it affect your work? So, um, so my background, I did a fair amount of stuff in college on climate change. I took like paleoclimate classes and like I was t- saying, I, I do like sediment cores and everything. And, um, as a, as a television meteorologist, we tend not to get too much into climate change because yeah. it's such a polarizing topic on television. Mm-hmm. Like if I said climate change on TV, particularly in an area that I live now, which is is very skeptical of the science that goes into it, despite the fact that they trust the science that the eclipse was going to happen and where it was going to happen. But that's, again, another show. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's tough because you want to talk about it, but you have to frame it in a different way to allow people the opportunity to understand what you're saying without immediately putting up kind of defense barriers. And I, I use a lot of data from Climate Central uh, out of Princeton, uh, just down the street from from you, quite a ways, but a lot closer than where I live. It's a little um, bit. It's a little bit away from us too. It's, but. it's a good. It's a good train ride down to Princeton yeah. uh, in Jersey. But uh, um, as well as uh, you know, like other other data, I look at a lot of data. I try not to read uh, like articles and stuff where other people are interpreting data or studies and then writing about it. I tend to find those articles, but then click on the study itself or find the data itself and look that over hmm. uh, because I like to have a complete understanding about something before I go on air with whatever it is because the last thing I want to do is get on TV and put my face on something that I don't fully understand or that I'm basing my judgments off of somebody else's understanding. Um and that's not to say that I can't trust other people, but it's I would rather have a full understanding about what I'm talking about before I get into it. Uh, and so when it comes to climate science, I tend to do a lot of reading of papers. Um, I subscribe to the American uh, Meteorological Society's um, like portal of journals. So I get on there and I read journals uh, every once in a while about uh, climate science and where it's going. And um and it is it is interesting in my day to day workflow about how much a changing climate tends to not necessarily change the forecast, right? Because we all know that you know, like climate is your is your personality and the weather is your mood. You can be a nice person and have a grouchy day. You can be a certain type of climate and still have different weather. Um, uh, but it is interesting to see the incremental shifts that are happening uh, with uh, with our climate and how it's impacting your your day to day weather forecast that you're getting. And it's it's all this weird incremental stuff um, that that you wouldn't wouldn't think about necessarily off the top of your head. You think, oh, climate change, so it's getting warmer, so you know summers are going to be longer. Well, yeah, uh, but uh, an offshoot of that is that uh, droughts are worse and heavy rainfall is worse. So you get, you get both ends of that, of that spectrum. Um, you know, so yeah, summer may feel longer, but uh, when you get into a drought, that's going to last longer. And when it rains really hard, it's going to rain a lot harder. 
which is something you may not think about. Or how about this? A warmer climate by 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.3 degrees C uh, Celsius is going to allow you to build more snowflakes. Hmm. Hmm. And that's, that's counterintuitive, right? You would think, oh, yeah. well, if it's warmer, we don't have as much snow. Well, no, you tend to get more blizzards and you get less like flurries because when you get these big systems because you're warming things up by like 0.2 or 0.3 degrees all you're doing is you're expanding the the what's called the dendritic growth zone and that's the area in the atmosphere where you you build snowflakes uh so the warmer it is the more moisture that that area can hold because you can never hold more moisture than the temperature but the more temperature you have, the more moisture you can hold. You can think of it like a cup, right? If you make a bigger cup, it can hold more water. Uh, and in this case, you can actually make more snowflakes, which gives you more snow. So uh, you, you asked me my favorite piece of hate mail that I've ever got. It actually is a phone call uh, that we received when I was in Texas where a guy called up and he, he, said, uh, he said, hey, Mr. Weatherman, and I would do the accent right now, but I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> he goes, I got about six inches of global warming sitting on my front lawn right now. What do you think about that? Uh, and to to which my response was, well, it can still snow, even if we are 0.2 degrees warmer than we were 10 years ago. It doesn't mean it can't snow. Again, it's a mood and personality thing. Your, your personality in Texas was uh, dry and hot, uh, but your mood can still be snowy. It can still happen. Uh, it just gets a little more uh, maybe difficult to do light snow, and it's a little easier to create uh, crazy six-inch, for at least Amarillo, blizzards. Okay, going to take a quick break from that conversation with Nick right now to bring you a quick ad for my friend, uh, my friends over at Table Turned. They have one of my favorite record of the month clubs right now. Their, for their service, they allow subscribers to pick a genre of which they will receive a record each month for that genre. I receive records uh, in the post-rock uh, instrumental genre. Last month, I got uh, Shiloh's High Wraith album, which is really great. It's on a really cool, like, cotton candy-ish, heather pink uh, vinyl. It's very beautiful. And right now, subscribers can subscribe for $160 until August 31st. That's this week. For a whole year, get a year's worth of records for just $160. Uh, after that, the price goes up a little bit, or you can pay $15 a month after August 31st. Um, you'll get a record every single month delivered straight to you with some information about the band, some stickers, some other fun stuff. And yeah. It's a really great service. I, I strongly support uh, these folks. Uh, Dane, the person who runs the uh, runs the company, is also a, a teacher. So I'm all about uh, supporting uh, educators who are doing some cool stuff in the in the music biz as well. So that's Table Turned. You can check them out at table-turned.com. T a b l e dash t-u-r-n-e-d.com tableturned.com you can find them on social media by searching for table turned as well all right let's get back to this conversation okay so i know you don't have a whole lot more time but are we in trouble in terms of climate 
We've been having hotter years. Um, if so, like, how long do you think until we see any sort of ramifications? Like, should I start building a, a bomb shelter now? Well, you see, and that's the funny thing, you know, like you watch TV and like you get these the mainstream national media people. And I know I'm part of the media, but I'm part of like local media. You get like it's the, the people that that don't deal with the ramifications of what they say. Uh, you know, they'll make you think that climate change is going to kill us all. And it's not. It's it's going to be small incremental differences that will eventually lead us to a place that is much less comfortable than it is today. Um, you know, heavier rain and longer droughts just means that it's going to be more difficult to grow crops, uh, successfully. It will take more irrigation. It'll take more effort. It'll take more money. Uh, Mm. so, um, you know, that's just crops. Uh, if you get more blizzards, that means, uh, that you're going to get more snowfall, which means you got to put more salt on the roads, which means you got to pay more people to put that salt on the road. It also means you have to mine more salt. Dang. It's, It's just more... It's small stuff that's, like, annoying. It's not going to, like, kill us, uh, but it's going to make life more difficult in the next 25, 50, 100, or 150 years. It's yeah. not it, – It's and, like, here's the thing. Like, people are all like, oh, well, it's a, it's a normal cycle. We just go through it. And, and while that argument is not necessarily false, the speed at which we're changing that normal cycle is the thing that is alarming to a lot of scientists like myself and other other real climate scientists that get into this stuff. Um, it's that the trajectory of changes is a whole lot steeper than it's ever been. And we just don't know, right? Like these, these incremental changes that are happening, if you pile one on the other, 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 quickly over the next hundred years when we're used to doing this over thousands of years, we just don't know what the ramifications will be for that. Uh, and, and that's because we don't know. I, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people who don't have to deal with the consequences of reporting on this stuff, tell you that the world is coming to an end and we're all going to die. I saw a report the other day that said uh, climate change was going to lead to, uh, sterile male humans in like a hundred years. Like, what? come on, really, really? What? Right. Well, can, so, so so what you're expl- what you're explaining to me sounds it sounds like there's more financial economic issues concerning climate change in the in the current than necessarily in how much it's going to impact um, perhaps how we all end up melting. Like in the future. So it's more like economic now. Yes. And then so the secondary and tertiary consequences of that are if we have to. I'm going to take this the the salt mining example. If we have to mine more salt to put more salt on the roads, that makes our water in our streams more salty. The secondary effect of that is it damages nature, right? So then you've got rivers where fish need a certain amount of salt in the water and not salt in the water. They need to be this acidic and this basic, yada, yada, yada. The plants need it like this. We're now changing the environment that other plant species and animal species live in, which makes it more difficult for them to survive or easier for others to survive, right? We're just changing kind of the food web. And we're doing this on an accelerated basis faster than... 
uh, evolution can probably keep up, I would imagine. Uh, so there's your secondary problem. The, the tertiary, the, the third one, which is the one that tends to scare people the most, is um, so now we're changing the local environment. Well, if every local environment is changed in one way or the other, now we've changed a global environment hmm. and make things different than they were 20 or 50 years ago. And you see things like corals bleached off the, the coast of Australia. Uh, you could change the salinity of the ocean, which would then change the currents of the ocean because of physics, uh, which those currents then dictate the weather. And, right, so everything's kind of interconnected, and I think this is where there's a disconnect between a lot of people who who deny that climate that that climate change is going to happen because they don't want to accept the 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 crap that comes along with all of this. Yeah, um, you know, or they're like, oh well, uh, they can't predict the weather in in seven days. How are they going to predict the climate in a hundred years? Those are those are two separate models. We can we can project an eclipse in 1919 that happened in 2017. So why wouldn't you believe that we can do the same thing with carbon? Hmm. Right? I mean, like, because that's all yeah. you're doing. You're just moving carbon around. You're moving uh, different molecules around in the atmosphere by using them. And and so uh, a lot of a lot of climate change stuff is. I mean, when you when you can really break it down into stuff that's like totally understandable to the regular person, like it kind of makes sense. Um, it just a lot of stuff either a scares people and they don't want to accept it because they're scared of it, uh, or um, or people tend to try and make it way more complicated uh, than it than it really is, or even it's, more political. Like yeah. it's literally just turned into a political issue when it's more of this is uh this is science. Um yeah. science yeah. shouldn't be political. It should just and be that, science. And and I understand the the political argument, which is if we put restrictions on all this stuff based on math that is telling us certain things are gonna be certain ways in a certain number of years, well what if they're not? Then what? We've wasted all this money and energy and everything else trying to manipulate how we do things to make things better. But, I mean, like, my my basic argument always goes back to this. And, and I work with a lot of people that are very skeptical of, of how much we are influencing our changing climate. And I always say, okay... So we make every car have to be 50 miles a gallon. We tell everybody you have to use a solar farm for energy. All this stuff. We can't stop putting carbon into the atmosphere. Okay. So that takes a lot of energy and money. But I like the earth the way it is today. Like, I like the weather the way it is today, the climate the way it is today. Like, if I had a choice between what we have right now and what we may have in the future that we don't really know about, whether we change it or, or don't change something or whatever, like, I like it the way that it is right now. And, and why not work to keep it the way that it is right now? You know, yeah. if that takes solar farms, if that takes <clears throat> driving energy efficient cars, like, okay, 
oh, okay, like let's let's do that. You know, <laughs> let's uh, do the things that'll preserve the little bit of Earth we have. <laughs> yeah, you know, and if if there's one thing that maybe this eclipse m- maybe helps people understand is that like we're pretty small, man, and like if we ever had a reason that we needed to like not be on Earth anymore, we have nowhere to go. So we better make sure that the earth is like going to be cool for us to live on. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, if we screw it up, there's really nowhere else for us to go. There's no plan B. Yeah. They, I mean like, and, and the tough thing is, is a lot of people like they don't have that. They can't conceptualize that. And that's fine. Um, you know, cause they don't teach you to conceptualize that in, in, in school. Uh, you know, when you're in grade school, you know, you're not sitting there on in fifth grade and they're like, all right, uh, kids, uh, imagine what it would be like if the world exploded, right? Because you're going to freak kids out. Um, but it is something that, that you need to, like, kind of think about because, like, if we screw up the planet and we don't have anywhere else to go, so we might as well do the things that we can do to, like, make it better, man like i i I don't know i'm weird maybe i'm weird but like (laughs) no no i think you're you're i think you're in good company here i think you're in good company here i'm okay with not driving a jeep wrangler anymore as much as i love a jeep wrangler and driving something that gets 30 miles a gallon because it's the right thing i drive a lot so it's the right thing to do for the environment and my pocket you know like i got a wallet you know like i'm trying to save money um and so, yeah, I don't know. Besides, one thing I've learned in the last couple of years with, with my job in particular is that, is that restrictions breed creativity. Um, hmm. And, um, you know, if you put restrictions on industries, they're going to come up with some very unique ways of doing whatever it is that they were trying to do before in a new way. And that's cool. Um, you know, if, if nobody ever said, hey, we need to have a car that gets 50 miles a gallon, we probably wouldn't have the Prius. You know, uh, if if we never said, hey, um, you know, this coal stuff is uh, kind of dirty on my clothes, we would never have laundry detergent. You know, I mean, like there's lots of stuff that it's like, uh, yeah, you can't come to work with dirty clothes. All right. Well, how am I going to solve this problem? Uh, or the the very uh, apt example is um everybody in when it was horse drawn buggies uh you know flies were everywhere and horse poop was everywhere and the crisis was how do we get rid of all the horse poop and all the flies because the flies are what carries all the disease and so everybody was trying all these different ways um to get the the hor- the flies not to like live in horse poop and how do we make the horse poop smell like this so the flies don't do this and how to blah 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 and you know what fixed the problem what the the restriction of trying to figure out how to do this somebody invented the automobile oh if there are no horses there is no horse poop and therefore no flies hmm I think it's also also quite complicated of how cars got created, but again, that's another that's another show. That's, that's a, another show. It's an interesting other show. <laughs> oh yeah, there's also a great episode of Adam ruins everything about it, um, where he gets into cars. Super fun. Okay, Nick, 
Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Um, if you have an extra two minutes, I have a lightning round of three questions for you. I have I have an extra three minutes just for you. Favorite sports team? Packers. Nailed it. Favorite food? Pizza. Oh, favorite color? Blue. Favorite movie? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, man. See, Rush Hour would be is my knee jerk. Um, Rush love Hour. Some, love me some Rush Hour. I okay. So here's the <laughs> secret about me. I love Jackie Chan movies. Like okay. any Jackie Chan movie, I am all about. Um, even like the the dubbed over ones. Like I think yeah. I have like ten of his dubbed over ones from before he was ever in America. Yeah. So um, yeah, let's let's go with that. It's either. It's either that or the Matrix. It's one of the two. Probably, well, let's go Matrix, because then that makes me feel a little less, like... A nerd? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then last thing, uh, favorite album you're listening to lately? Um, favorite album I'm listening to lately? Uh, EMC's... Uh, hold on, what's the name of the... I just got this. It's uh, EMC's... I want to say it's The Show. Oh, let me let me find her. Yeah, EMC The Show. Cool. I think I know that one, actually. Pretty sure I know that one. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So it's a few years old, though. Yeah, it's it's from, like, 2008. Sorry. Cool. But you're also a big Lupe guy, right? I remember we we, we into chatting about Lupe. I'm, I am a very big Lupe Fiasco fan. Um, but it's not, it's not a, I don't have a new CD. His new CD, I didn't much care for. You didn't uh, like the Drogas? Drogas no, Light? No, I wasn't a big fan of it. I, I appreciate his artistic uh, skill, and I and I I think it was probably a, a well-produced and well-thought-out uh, album, but, it like, 90% of the CD was, like, I was kind of like, all right, well, okay. Yeah, but, I mean, that's fair. But here's the thing. So I, I've had this conversation with um, with uh, John, uh, my roommate, uh, and um, you know, we, we've talked about this. And not every not every ten, not every hit is a home run. No, you know, like dude has had a run. I mean, like like Food and Liquor and The Cool. Oh yeah, are are terrific CDs. Yeah, uh, lasers. I, I love lasers, but it gets a lot of crap. I it love does. lasers. It was, it was okay. It was pretty good. You know, I mean, it's like nine out of ten, nine out of ten for the first two, and then like probably like like seven and a half out of ten. And so, like the tough thing for Lupe is because his first two CDs were so spectacular. When you come out with lasers, which is kind of a different sound, mm-hmm. and um, and it kind of caught people, I think, a little off guard. It's still pretty good, but because it's not the cool, because it's not food and liquor, it's like, what is what is this? And then food and liquor two uh, went back to being uh, terrific. Um, and I thought that Tetsuo, was... Tetsuo and Youth is amazing. Yes, uh, that was uh, a terrific album, which I'm still trying to wrap my brain around uh, everything. Uh, on that CD, which, by the way, uh, for people that are Lupe Fiasco fans, I recommend you get on uh, on YouTube and look up. I think it's uh, Times New Roman or New Times Roman did a breakdown of a bunch of his uh, songs about Dang. like the king and the symbolism and everything. I highly recommend that. Dang! All right, I'm glad we had a little bit of a Lupe Fiasco lesson. I 
I, I was I, I wanted to lead down there because I know we both have a shared appreciation of that man. But thank you one once again, Nick. Uh, and I look forward to keeping up with all the cool stuff you're doing. For sure, man. I look forward to following you on Twitter like always. Always. All right. See you, buddy. See ya. All right. So that was my chat with Nick. What a great guy. I, I love Lupe Fiasco. We both do. We bond over his music quite often. Um, but yeah, I'm really thankful for Nick taking some time in between literally uh, doing some research for his job and then going to film uh, his like 10 o'clock or late, late night segment for his uh, news station, which is really sweet. I'm glad he took some time to chat with me. Now I'm going to turn to some music from our friends at The Native Sound. I'm bringing you a, a new song from the band Surf Rock is Dead. The song is called Everything They Said. It is off their upcoming EP, which is out October 6th. The EP is called We Have No Friends. Wonderful, wonderful name of an EP. I think it's great. You can pre-order the album on vinyl, digital, and scream it. Scream it. You can stream it. I mean, I guess you can scream it, too. Uh, Yeah, give it a try. On Spotify right now. Stream this single on Spotify right now. So here is Surf Rock is Dead with everything they said.
Spoilers, everything they said by Surf Rock is dead. If you liked what you heard, you can check them out on Spotify. You can find their album at thenativesound.com. And you can get their album on October 6th. It is called We Have No Friends. Uh, And now let's get to my conversation with my good friend, Sophie Robinson. Here we go. So I am sitting digitally... Uh, with my good friend Sophie uh, Robinson, who's actually in Providence right now, which yep. is like just below us. It is. Which is pretty sweet. But we actually were just hanging out like four days ago in Brooklyn. <laughs> I know. I just saw you and now I get to chat with you again. This is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. And so you live in Brooklyn now. I do. Um. That's a little bit about what folks know about you now, but can you tell them a little bit more about yourself and who you are and what you do and why you're here? Sure. So I'm a documentary filmmaker, and I specialize in climate change documentaries and climate change stuff in general. Um, I was a grassroots climate change organizer for two years in Boston, and then I saw the impact that films had on organizing, and I was like, I want to do that with my life. Literally, one day I was driving in a car and decided I wanted to make a film, and so I quit my job and found the film company that I really admired, and I was like, hey, I want to do a film with you guys. Let's do this, and somehow convinced them to let me join them. Um, for next film, and so um, that's what we did. Three started three years ago, and um, we made a film, and it's out there in the world, and you can see it. And it's called The Age of Consequences, and it's about how climate change impacts national security and global stability. So, did you? Is this something you went to school for? Like, like climate or even documentary, like filmmaking? <laughs> I studied uh, psychology and environmental science. So, yeah, I've definitely been studying climate change academically for most of my life. And I'm getting um, a master's in sustainability now, but um, not filmmaking at all. Like, zero filmmaking skills whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> but it turns out organizing is a really good background for producing because it's just about kind of making shit happen. So, yep. That's what I did. Nice. That's great. Uh, Having a little bit of organizing experience in my background from college and uh, that always helped with putting on concerts and stuff, which I kind of always Mm -hmm. enjoy that side of it more. I do enjoy performing, but I like this, the, the act of putting it all together and making sure something happens. Totally. Um, So I'm sure that that's very invigorating for you as well. Yeah. Totally. I mean, as an organizer, it's just cool to like make something happen and then see a lot of people be engaging in that and be like, that's so cool. You can see the impact that you have. Yeah. And so uh, The Age of Consequences, that's the documentary. Um, You said it was three years you've been working on it. That's how long it took to make. Um, What kind of angle did you go uh, with making this documentary to make sure that it could like possibly hit a new market? Yeah. So it was actually the team I worked with was super, super speedy. And they actually made, we made it in a little over a year, a year and a half or so. Um, So it's been, we've been kind of on tour for the past year and a half or so. So yeah, it was super fast um, production. And we wanted to make a film when we were starting thinking about this. We wanted to make a climate change films that could bring new people into the conversation than were already there. And as an organizer, I felt really frustrated that a lot of the climate change films were 
they had kind of similar messaging and they had similar people being interviewed in them. And it was for the people who already believed in climate change. And so I wanted to get outside of all of those things and make a film targeted to folks who maybe were on the edge or maybe who believed in climate change, but weren't sure how serious it was, um, who didn't necessarily identify as part of the climate choir or an environmentalist whatsoever, just kind of your average American. Um, and so when we were thinking about that, we were like, okay, well, what kind of angles might we want to take here? Um, and we figured that if we took an angle of a more conservative side, that, that would actually really open us up in a lot of ways. So we ended up um, looking into the national security implications of climate change and found that our military actually takes it really seriously. And that's something I didn't really know before getting into this. Like climate change is written into all of their strategic documents into the hmm. quadrennial defense review into wow. yeah they're like their bedrock do document it's in um directives from the dod that all of their programs have to take climate change into consideration they study how climate change impacts their bases and their missions it's crazy like, then, how how is there any sort of like disconnect there <laughs> i thought we only listened to the military <laughs> i know exactly well so that that was like literally our explosion when we kind of realized how seriously they do take it is we're like, holy shit, they take climate change so seriously, but our politicians don't, but our politicians take like the military seriously. So what is that disconnect? Like what's going on? And um, I mean, I think climate change is a really political issue. So they're, you know, the, and the military also like doesn't really have PR, you know, they're not like broadcasting, you know, like the things they care about and do, really. It's about people finding out what they do and broadcasting it. So that's kind of what we had to do. So yeah. honestly, I don't think a lot of people know that our military takes climate change seriously, which is why the film has been really successful, because people are like, oh my god, I didn't know that they did. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and your goal wasn't necessarily to even put a political bent on this, right? We had talked about that a little bit, too. Non, yeah, it's nonpartisan. So there yeah. is no political bent whatsoever. There's no finger pointing. Like, there isn't a lot of climate change documentaries. Um, there's no talk about politics, really. It's basically the concept of the film is here's how our military thinks about climate change. And how they think about it is as a threat multiplier. That's their language. And it's kind of a wonky term. But basically, it means when there's already instability around the world, say, from political tensions, you have an authoritarian government, you have poverty, you have religious tensions, and then you add the layer of climate change and suddenly people on top of those already tense situations can't feed their family anymore or they have to pay a lot more for food or they don't have access to water, then those tensions just got a lot more serious and they may be willing to take up arms and fight for their lives and fight for the struggle when they wouldn't necessarily beforehand. So it kind of takes a, a tense situation and just amplifies it. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it is. And it's all, that's already happening around the world. So we don't even really, I mean, we do some future projecting, very little, just in Bangladesh, because it's such a, like, it's just, it's, it's going to happen. Um, in Bangladesh, I mean, they're just, they have so many people there, and with a three-foot sea level rise, there will be 30 million refugees just in Bangladesh. Um, yeah, and they're already boxed wow. by India on three sides with a 10-foot razor wire fence. Didn't know that before doing this. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so they're already like – that's a whole situation. Anyways, but my point is that 
Um, climate change has already acted as a threat multiplier. In the past, the classic examples are the Syrian civil war, um, which a lot of people attribute to um, the Assad regime, which is totally accurate. And there are a lot of really complicated political tensions there. Um, but also there was a drought from 2006 to 2010 that was two to three times more likely to have happened because of climate change. Scientists have gone back and can't figure out how that would have happened from natural variability alone. And that drought caused 1.5 million people in Syria to go to the city to look for work. And there was no work and the Assad regime did not provide for its people when farmers had no work anymore and they couldn't feed themselves. So that just totally, you know, destabilized the entire um, country and then all of those tensions that were already existing got a lot worse and then that's kind of when the country started to unravel wow so clearly you've learned a lot about this and have dedicated a lot of your life to this why is climate change so important to you like why is this topic so important to you that's such a good question um I could give you kind of a superficial answer and I could give you a really deep answer. Um, maybe I'll give you both. I'll give you a little teaser, a, a test of both because you're my friend. <laughs> Please. I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> the superficial answer. And this is, I mean, not totally superficial. It's true. And honest is that I'm really scared. Um, I'm 28. I hope to have kids someday, but sometimes like looking at the science, it's, it's, pretty bleak. Um, you know, there's, I see reports all the time that show like by the end of the century, if we continue burning fossil fuels at the rate we are, we'll have enough water for 1 billion people on this planet. And I'm like, okay, I'll be close to being alive by then or like I'll be alive when that is starting to happen. Like that's scary. <laughs> Um, and you know, maybe I want to have kids like they would be alive then. And that is really scary to me that like, we're changing the planet so fundamentally so quickly, we don't even really realize how quickly it's already going. Um, and it, it does, it's, it really scares me and it, I, I want to do everything I possibly can to, to change that. Um, the deeper answer is that uh, my parents were both really avid environmentalists and they cared so much about um, making the world a better place. And they really instilled that in me from a young age um, with renewable energy. And I grew up on an organic berry farm and like the <laughs> idea of sustainability and, you know, like, yeah, like that whole concept of, of um, not using more than we need is really deeply instilled and like leaving enough for other people and caring about other people. Um, so that kind of their legacy is something that really, I lost them when I was, when I was pretty young. So just carrying on their legacy is something that I think really is deep inside of me and, and has created this like really deep passion and fire that like is <laughs> taken me to all these crazy places. That's awesome. I feel like uh, uh, through many of the conversations we've had since we've gotten to know each other uh, over the last couple of years, um, I feel like we're both hippies from the different <laughs> parts, of, like different corners of the country. Uh -huh. Me and my Pacific Northwest hip hippieism, you and your New Hampshire mm -hmm. uh, berry farm. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it, it's always like very comforting to know that there are there are other folks that have kind of come up in a more like sustainable understanding that we've only got one Earth. Yeah. That, that well, apparently there was one just dis- just discovered, but we may never get there. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, like, look, we've got a pretty good one here. So, why, so why fuck it up, right? <laughs> like, I think our chances are better of fixing this one than like flying to billions of light years away to maybe have one that has maybe oxygen and maybe water. Who knows? <laughs> but to be honest, I'm willing to go try at that one. <laughs> you know, I love, I that love outer space. Such a low bar for humanity. That says you like have no hope that humanity will actually be able to like dig itself out of the shithole that's what that says to me like (laughs) but it's so true (laughs) my apathy and my nihilism often compete (laughs) and i have to like find it in myself to just be like no we will be okay yeah we will be okay and that's why i'm glad that people like you exist that are out there doing this doing this damn work now, in the work that you've done, what is like the most like, unexpected piece of information you kind of found out while creating this project? I would say less so a piece of information and more of a mindset where okay. I went into this, as you were saying, like totally hippie, crunchy, like grew up <laughs> on a berry farm, you know, like I'm little miss thing over here, like, um, I don't know, just like had the very lefty, crunchy thing going on. Um, And part of that is that I really had an aversion to the military. And whenever I would like see a, you know, veterans bumper sticker or support our troops, I would kind of, you know, internally just like cringe a little bit. It'd be like, ah, you know, military, like military industrial complex, like, you know, that whole thing. I just didn't, I didn't get it at all. Um, and I think the most surprising thing to me coming through on the other side of making this film about the military, um, is that I have a lot of respect for them. And like, I have a lot of respect for veterans and I like have seen not only like the values and the dedication and the passion that goes into serving this country in that way and why people go to do that. Um, but also I have so much respect even like for the institution itself. I mean, like I went on a tour at the Naval War College this spring and, um, on my tour, the tour guide was like, you know, it's a shame we're not called the Naval Peace College because we're more about peace than war. And I I was like, my mind was blown. And they were like, yeah, we're not like, international diplomacy here and like our big thing like we you know do all these war games to try and like anticipate where things could happen and that like our military does so many humanitarians like you know they like were the first ones to haiti like haiti and to when typhoon um haiyan um struck and so they just like are doing humanitarian stuff all the time and yes they do do a lot of bad stuff too but i think the bad stuff is more because our politicians say hey go do this bad stuff and use our military to do that um when in like i guess like for the military itself i just have a lot of respect for the intelligence the passion the dedication and and really thought that goes into our service yeah that's fascinating because like i know when i first watched the film i got to see like an earlier version of it um here in boston and i was blown away by how 
like military centric it was. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I do also, I come from a military family. Like most of the members, most of the dudes in my family were in the military. I actively was not interested in that. I'm also very much like an anarchist. That's kind of been, that's kind of been covered in this podcast a little bit. Okay. Um, so I've, I've never really been very fond for it, but what you, what you, what you display in the film and what you've already talked about here is there, there is that respect shown. Mm-hmm. And instead of coming from it or coming at it from this, what would be perceived as this liberal bias mm-hmm. they're they're going to show that the military doesn't care about anything but in reality they might be the only people in quote unquote politics that are doing anything yeah for I this mean, yeah our military is the highest rated trusted institution in America it's a, it's got the highest rate it's like you know 70 plus rating or something like that it's yeah. crazy I mean, our Congress rating is like 3%. You know, yeah. People yeah. do not trust our government whatsoever, nor should they. Yeah. But we do trust the military. And so I think that that is really interesting. And the fact that our military takes climate change so seriously to us, one of the reasons of making the film is it's like, okay, I don't know about politicians. I don't know about science, but I do trust the military. So I trust the military and they say that climate change is happening and it's serious and it's impacting their missions and it's yeah. impacting these other things around the world. Like, okay, maybe I'll listen to them, you know, and that maybe our politicians should listen to them too. That's a really wonderful thing to, to come away with. I think like it's, uh, it's fascinating to have one of those kinds of realizations because I know that some of us can get stubborn in our like, we'll put up our blinders when we go into really any situation where like, I'll even go talk to some of my, my, my vet center students on my campus. And I immediately go into it thinking like, these guys are gung ho military. They're gung ho conservative, anti me and my top knot. Like I totally expect all that. Right. And then I'll talk to some of the guys and they're like punks yeah. They're hardcore kids. Totally. They were they did it so that they could just get college paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh most of them uh I have a couple students who were vets that were like like object like uh, object to the wars. Yeah. And I'm I'm just like Yeah. Like that's yeah. so much dilemma. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean the so the first interview that we did of a military person was Rear Admiral David Titley. And we were interviewing him in front of this like huge ship. Um, so we had that back backdrop for him. And I remember being so nervous to meet him. I was like, oh my God, I'm meeting like this military person. What do I call him? He's retired. Do I call him Admiral Titley? Do I call him Rear Admiral Dave? Like, I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> his title. Is he going to be really mad and like walk away? Um, and we meet him and he is like, so he was the Navy's oceanographer for 30 years. Like this guy's kind of a big deal. So I was really nervous to meet him. We meet him. He is like the nerdiest, sweetest, like, (laughs) you know, like he is the sweetest guy. He, he was like an, like a bird flew over us while he was, while we were filming in mid sentence, he was just like, Oh, an Osprey. And then (laughs) text me smiley faces in his text messages to me. And I was like, who is this guy? And, and I met him 
I was like, hi, you know, Rear Admiral Titley is so good to meet. And he's like, oh, just call me Dave. And was like, you know, just immediately so sweet and so down to earth. And I was just, my mind was totally blown. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so great to like have those like stigmas squashed almost immediately sometimes. Well, it makes you think like I, those stigmas for me were so, I guess, strong, fast and held. And as like a very left leaning liberal person, my whole mind frame is like, I'm so open and like accepting of everybody and loving of everybody and da 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 da. And yet I hate the military. And then my <laughs> mind got blown. Well, <laughs> I was wrong about that. And like, I thought that was just such a beautiful moment for me personally of like, I don't know, having, yeah, having my mind expanded and, and having those stereotypes smashed for me too, in a way that was really cool. That's so awesome. Okay. One last thing to <laughs> okay. wrap this up. And we've touched on it a little bit already. You've already touched on it a bit. All right. Let's but, bow around it, though. But why should folks care about climate change right now? Why should people give a shit? Oh, Craig. <laughs> I love to end on really hard questions. No, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's such an easy question and it's such a hard question. Because here's the thing about climate change. It's going to impact every facet of everybody's life, not only just in climate change and like what I'm talking about, about war, but to get to a solution, we have to change the entire way we live because our entire lives are based on fossil fuels. And for them to not be based on fossil fuels is going to look really different. That doesn't mean it's going to be bad and we're going to go eat sticks and bugs and like that's going to be our life forever. Uh, I mean, you and I could probably do that. We could do that. We're just huge hippies from whatever. Yeah. As long as they're just brunch, we'll be okay. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, that's not going to fly with everyone. So so we have this huge transformation to go through. Um, and our whole lives. So it's, like, this mind-blowingly big challenge that, like, on a scale that humanity has never faced for lots of different reasons. Um, and we have to go through that. Like, we have to go through that evolution together. It's kind of like, as a species, we have to go through puberty, and, it, and, and nature's like, nope, you can't just, like, have everything you want all the time and have it your way and expect nothing to happen. There, there are consequences to your actions. So we're kind of learning that as a species, which is, like, a very hard lesson for us. So the challenge is to like get to that next level of understanding, um, which is going to be really hard. Like a lot of pieces of this are going to be really hard. Uh, people are already dying all the time because of climate change. People are already suffering on massive scales. Um, so why should you care? I mean, because our entire lives are at stake. I mean, everything we love, everything we care about is at stake, is at risk. Like, if there's a world war because there isn't enough water, like, that is a very real possibility. And, like, sooner than we imagine. You know, if cities start to go underwater, if governments have to act authoritarian to protect their people, um, if we have to use nuclear weapons to get water, like, that's within the projections if we don't do anything about this. So why should you care? Because literally your life and our lives are at risk. That being said, um, you know, I, 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 I worry that it's easy to get caught up with climate change in this, like, fatalistic, doomsday mindset. I do it sometimes. I mean, it's hard when you're, like, steeped in the science not to. Um, 
but on the one hand, like, yeah, it's, we've been given this kind of fatal diagnosis on one hand. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, what do we have to live for? You know, it's like both this really awful, like thing looming over us. And then on the other hand, it's this brilliant light and opportunity of finding joy and finding happiness. And like, yes, we're against this incredible, awful challenge, but also like, wow, this sunset is really beautiful. And, you know, I'm going to go on a hike with my friends and laugh and love them and be a human and like know what it is like to be a human and be joyful. Um, Because that's really all we have. Like we have one life and we get to choose how it is. And you should absolutely care about climate change and do something about it. Do everything you can. Um, But also enjoy your life because that's what we're here for. Exactly. I like that. I like that little bow on it. (laughs) And it's fun because uh, Nick, who I talked to in the other part of this, the weatherman guy, he says something similar, but he also says to the degree that um, a lot of the changes that are happening are happening at such a rate that we should still, you know, kind of live our lives. Mm -hmm. Don't let those things pass by. Um, Don't like put anything on pause because as long as we can kind of do both work to kind of correct some of the the wrongs that are happening and still enjoy our lives amid this potential uh, undoing of our earth as it is, um, we still need to just exist. (laughs) Damn straight. Um, Real fast, can I ask you some lightning round questions? These have nothing to do with climate change. They have everything to do with you as a, uh, as a singular human being. Wow, sure. Favorite food? Sushi, which is not even true, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. Okay, <laughs> question. <laughs> color. Favorite color? Blue. Uh, sport? Soccer. Duh. Yeah. Duh. You played in college, right? I did, and I, a month and a half ago, had my second reconstructive knee surgery from a soccer injury, so... I did not mean to bring that up before that. <laughs> I just wanted you to be able to talk about soccer for a second. <laughs> you know what? I love the sport, and it's undying. There you go. Um, uh, favorite movie? Harold and Maude. Oh, okay. Um, favorite book? You can do current or all-time. Oh, um, the mindful path to self-compassion. Oh, little sounds really hippie. I know it totally is. I meditate all the time. And I, I have to end with music. Uh, a favorite album or artist that you enjoy listening to? Oh, that's so hard. I know we went over music this past weekend. <laughs> I don't really know what to say to that. I mean, I've gone through so many phases. In high school, high school, I think, middle schools, Modest Mouse. Then it has been like, you know, went through a big Jack Johnson phase, went through Third Eye Blind, went through um, Feist, went through um, Florence and the Machine. I don't know. I've been like bopping all over the place. Too. But I see some consistencies there. Um, Fleet Foxes. Jay-Z. Just all of a sudden, Jay-Z. <laughs> I love Jay-Z. I do. Uh, it was weird being in New York and seeing his massive billboards that he has for his new album. Oh, I haven't seen those yet. It blew me away. It was like right in Times Square. 
not my favorite place, but well, that's why I haven't seen them. I don't really like to go there. Yeah, gross. Yeah. All right, Sophie. <laughs> thank you so much for spending some time thank with me. You for spending time with me. Yeah, and hopefully we get to hang out again soon. We'll do that. All right, you take it easy. Thanks, you too. Well, there you have it. That was the full uh, episode on climate change. We made it. We we finished another episode. I'm, I'm proud of all of us. Uh, another big thank you to Nick Lilja and Sophie Robinson for taking some time out of their lives to just chat with me about this topic. I learned so much from both of them from these conversations, and I am forever changed in so many ways just trying to figure out where I land in this big world of trying to figure out how I can um, make an impact in terms of bringing more awareness to climate change and reducing the crap that I put into the world uh, as, 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 as a person. And so... I hope you enjoyed the conversation, Uh, and if you did, please tell some friends, share it with folks, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at edupunkspod, you can follow me at krigbididman, C-R-I-G-B-I-D-I-D-M-A-N, it's a nice misspelling of my name, you can find out more show notes and information at at the website, which is craigbideman.com slash edupunkspod. There's a whole bunch of fun information we'll put up there. We'll even put up some links to where you can check out The Age of Consequences, as well as some fun videos of Nick doing weather stuff. Yeah, it'll be great. Uh, Another big thanks to our friends at The Native Sound, uh, as well as Table Turns. And if you like the music you heard during this episode, please go to thenativesound.com so you can pre-order the new album from Surf Rock is Dead. It's called We Have No Friends. Great name. Wonderful name. Love it. And you can subscribe to Table Turned, uh, their monthly vinyl vinyl subscription uh, company. You can go to them at table-turned.com. And until next week, I am signing off and I'll leave you with some more tunes from No Sun. Let's get to work. mostly just you know grew up in the kenosha area so oh yes you know i was very excited to get away from it yeah you sound like you're from kenosha
<laughs> shut up. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not no, wrong. no, for Christ's sake, no. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Fantastic.